Well, as we, as we think about Philippians and, and we've been reading this, through this book, I, I was reminded of my childhood. I don't know if you remember, some of you remember, some of you were not born, when the, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets came out. Uh, and, and there were these plastic bracelets with WWJD, or, or maybe, you know, if you, you had, there were these other bracelets that, that girls would make where it was like this plastic, and you folded it and folded it and folded it and folded it, and they'd kind of work in the, the beads for WWJD. And, and it was, it was a, helpful, a helpful effort as far as it would go. The idea was that the bracelet would remind you to think it through, you know, and, and to ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? Should I or should I not punch my brother right now? What would Jesus do? And, well, he probably wouldn't punch his brother. Okay, I'm not going to do that. And that's, that's helpful as far as it goes, but, but sometimes our, I, our understanding about Jesus he kind of lives in this taught category. If you've ever done any sort of teaching or you've talked to people or maybe you've just heard the, the, the phrase, some things are caught rather than taught. And sometimes I think that we relate to Jesus just in terms of the things that can be taught. But, but it's hard to, to catch some of the things that he would have us catch because we're not seeing him face to face. And And I'm thankful that that the Bible doesn't leave us with just the account of what Jesus did, and then we ha- we're left to discern, okay, how do we reply this to our lives? We have in the Bible a number of different examples of people who saw Jesus, who followed him, and as a result, we can look at their lives as examples for ourselves. We don't just have to see what Jesus did. We can look and see what, what Peter did, what James did, what John did. We don't have to look at just what Jesus did. We can look and see what, what Mary did. We can look and see what Paul did, and today we're going to get to see what what Epaphroditus did, specifically as we consider what does it look like for us to suffer for Christ. Uh, And I I expected about that much applause, Uh, but the reality is we we do live in a broken world, and, and whether we feel comfortable talking about it or not, we all experience brokenness and suffering. And the Bible has something to say about it, and I believe that God has something that he wants to, wants to encourage us with as we consider our own brokenness. And we don't just have to look at Jesus, though he is the suffering serpent, but we can see how other people looked at Jesus, and we can have a clarifying picture for our own life for how we can live. Amen? So let's stand together, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those saints who've gone before, who provide us with 
a lens through which we can see Jesus more clearly. And God, as we look at our own lives, the brokenness that we experience, the pain that we experience, the suffering, Lord, the continued indwelling sin, I pray that you would help us to see how others, and specifically today how Epaphroditus handled that before you. God, we thank you that he gives us a picture of what it looks like to to continue to move forward, to do what you've put in front of us to do, to your glory and for our joy and for the benefit of others. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help your servant today to, to speak this word with clarity, that we would all benefit from it, that we'd be encouraged and challenged in it and by it. God, we pray that you would minister hope and comfort through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Epaphroditus is someone who is ready to suffer for Christ. He had been sent by the Philippians to deliver uh, this gift. I've talked about it before. The Philippians understood that Paul was in prison, and so they wanted to send him a gift. And so if they were going to do that, they didn't have FedEx or UPS or Amazon at the time. There had to be an emissary from the Philippians to Paul. And we find out that that person is uh, Epaphroditus. And in fact, Paul refers to it in in chapter 4, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus went and traveled the distance from, we we believe that, that Paul's in Rome, so from Philippi to Rome, and he was supposed to stay and support Paul in his time of need, but we know that he fell ill, so ill, in fact, that Paul wasn't sure whether he would live. So you can, you can imagine the, the, the turmoil in Paul's soul, of this, this sweet and caring and kind saint who came, potentially a leader of the, the Philippians, who came to minister to him, and, and at the same time, he becomes one who is now in need. And you can consider the Philippians who have sent one of their, their best and, and find out that, oh no, he's fallen ill, he might, he might not make it, and, and the concern and the fear that they have. And yet, we see that his Christ-like character and his identity in Christ, through his struggle, makes Epaphroditus the type of person that we should honor and emulate so that we can say, what would Epaphroditus do? So look at verse 25 with me as we consider Epaphroditus and his Christ-like identity and character. Paul says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He wants to send Epaphroditus back. He's, he's eager to get him back. You guys take him because I don't want him to die on my watch. I so appreciate what, what's happened, but, but I want him to, to be blessed and be a blessing to you all. In fact, we had read last week that, that he wanted to send Timothy, but for some various reasons wasn't going to be able to. So I Part of what we believe his hope was, was that Epaphroditus could serve in that position of leadership and example for the Philippians while Timothy and Paul were were unable to make it. And so he lists out five characteristics that I want us to look at. He talks about Epaphroditus being a brother, being a fellow worker, being a fellow soldier, being their their minister and their their messenger. He says, this is my brother, I, I hope to send Epaphroditus my brother. The first quality that he mentions is this idea of brotherhood. 
They weren't first and foremost fellow workers or, or teammates. They weren't necessarily connected by affinity. They weren't in the, in the rotary club together. They were, they were brothers. They were family. And Paul talks about it in other places that, that what connects us as Christians is not primarily convenience or, or personal interests or worship styles. It is the fact that we, we all call Jesus our, our older brother and call God our father. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul is praying and he says, um, well, I'll start in verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And, and one of those spiritual blessings is in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption. So God, in, in, in eternity past, before he's created anything, he's already thinking about establishing a, a family out of this, this group of individuals who, who have fallen and who decided not to follow him. He's, he's decided, I'm going to redeem a people for myself, and they're going to be not just a group of people, and they're not just going to be a nation, they're not just going to be uh, uh, people who are, are conveniently connected, but they're going to be family. He's my brother. Uh, and, and in Romans 8, it says something similar about how we've received the spirit of adoption that allows us to all cry together, Father. Abba, Father. It says good implications and bad implications. The good implications are that if you've never had siblings, now you do. The bad implication is that, well, siblings can be annoying, but they remain your siblings. There's a kind of familial love that God expects for us to express toward one another. And, and that doesn't, we don't, we don't get to discount ourselves from that because it's inconvenient. One commentary points out that Epaphroditus might have been named by pagan parents who wanted to invoke the protection, the protection of the pagan goddess Aphrodite, right, Epaphroditus. So his identity is one of a pagan who is really under the authority of a, of a demonic force, or, or at least not under the authority of God. But, but when he puts his trust in Jesus Christ, he's given a new identity, being able to emulate Christ, being able to say, what would Jesus do, begins by trusting Jesus. You know, you may, you may have grown up in church, and you may, may have been going to church since before you were out of your mom's womb. That does not make you a Christian. You may be trying to do the right things. You know, I, I cuss a lot less. You know, I, I occasionally give a little bit of money. I, I might even choose to serve on one of the teams, but, but if, if that's the defining characteristic that identifies who you are, you're not there. Paul begins by saying he's my brother, and he's, he's a brother not because he's chosen to be a brother, but because God has adopted him through faith. So we, we, we need to understand that being able to emulate, truly emulate Jesus, being able to say what would Jesus do and have that have that have some sort of real meaning in our life begins with trusting who Jesus is. It begins with the real question of what has Jesus done? What sets Christianity apart, Christianity apart from every, every religious system that I know of at least? I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm aware of every exhaustive religion, but most of the time I've found that if you boil down a faith that is not Christianity, it res, it, it's this. It's I'm going to do good 
to get good. I'm going to do good things to get good things from the gods. I'm going to do good things to get good things from karma. I'm going to do good things so that good people will treat me kindly. Even those who don't believe in a God believe that if I do good things, then maybe good things will come back to me. But it always begins with doing. Whereas Christianity begins with what Christ has already done. And we, we trust in what God has done. And then out of that trust, out of that faith, out of that that wonderful reality that God has looked at you and your life and said, daughter, son, then we begin to act. Then we begin to do. What do you most identify with in your life? You know, when, when people say, you know, tell me about yourself, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it your career? Is it your family? That's not necessarily bad. I don't know that it would be super socially self-aware of, you know, hey, tell me about yourself. I'm a Christian. I'm not saying do that. You can. See what happens. We'll see. But, but as you think about yourself and you're honest about the things that, that bring you a sense of security and peace and, and identity, what is it? And, and, and is at, it, at its core Jesus Christ? Epaphroditus was Paul's brother. He goes on. And he calls him my, my fellow worker. And by fellow worker, Paul means that, that Epaphroditus had partnered with him in the work of the gospel. Because Epaphroditus was a brother, he was willing and compelled to be a fellow worker. And, and just in case, you know, some of you are thinking, well, that's great. Paul was an apostle. Epaphroditus was probably a pastor or something. I don't have to worry about that. No, you do. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4. As Paul's talking about what it looks like for us to be a church, to be a body, he describes the responsibilities of, of us. And he says in verse 11, he, and he gave, talking about God, talking about Jesus Christ specifically, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers to do all the things in the church so that we could receive and benefit. No, it doesn't say that. It says that he gave these individuals to equip the saints, that's you and me, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a high calling. So what, what Paul says there is that if you are, are one who has received Jesus Christ, then you've been given pastors, you've been given teachers, you've been given apostles and, and prophets so that... Not so that you can just receive and be thankful and, and go home and do your thing. No, but so that you can be equipped to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So that you can go into your neighborhood and minister. So that you can go to work and minister. So that you can be in your family and minister. Paul understood that Epaphroditus was a fellow worker with him. If we follow Christ, then we're called to be fellow workers. And like I said, this means loving our neighbors and, and being willing to share about the hope that we have. This means serving our brothers and sisters, not because we're bound by affinity, but because we're bound by Christian family. And not only is pa uh, Epaphroditus a, a fellow worker, he's committed as a soldier of the faith. Paul says that he's a fellow soldier. And this idea of, of being a soldier, is, it's a theme for, for Paul. Earlier, he talked about standing firm in our faith, and, and we think about that, and we're like, okay, yeah, stand firm in your faith. But that's, that's military language, standing at your post. 
And he understood that Epaphroditus was a, a fellow sir, uh, soldier. Now, I want you to remember that, that Paul's talking to Philippi. Um, I, 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 how many of you have been to Fayetteville? Some of you have. Yeah. I'm not saying anything positively or negatively, but Fayetteville is like, it's Marine Central. I mean, it's, it's a military town, and you can, you can tell, you can feel it in the air. And, and the, the same could be said of Philippi. Philippi was actually established by the Roman Empire as a colony, and it was, it was, it was colonized by Roman soldiers, and so they settled down, and that was, that was hundreds of years before, but there's still this sense of, of understanding what it means to be a Roman. Um, one, one commentator called it the Rome away from a Rome. And so they had this appreciation for what it meant to be a soldier. And, and like a brave soldier, Epaphroditus was willing to do whatever it took to accomplish his mission in delivering the Philippians' gift and serving Paul, even in the face of physical danger. You know, soldiers live differently. My dad was a soldier. Some of you have served, and for that I'm, I'm grateful. Um, a soldier is given a mission to accomplish, and he, he does not determine that mission himself. He doesn't go into a room of one and say, you know what, Eddie, Private Eddie, what should we do today? No, he is told what to do, and he does what he's told, and that is his job, is obedience, unquestioning Obedience. A soldier is under the authority of his officers, and he obeys that authority. A soldier isn't concerned about his own well-being in the same way that, that a civilian might. He isn't, he's focused on the part that he plays in the unit that he's in. These, these are the things that distinguish a soldier from a civilian. And, and Paul's saying there's a way of living in the Christian life where, where we're not living our own life. This isn't an army of one. This is we've received a mission from God. We've received a purpose from God. We've received our orders from God. We've been placed in a unit that we didn't even choose, this Christian family. And we've been, been given a call that we're supposed to follow regardless of how we feel about it. And Epaphroditus understood that. You can begin to appreciate why, why Paul uses this metaphor of, of the soldier because so much of the Christian life involves treating Jesus as Lord. And again, this is... This is not, this is not American air that we breathe. Not the airlines, but, but the air. This is not the air that we breathe because we as individuals, we care about our individual freedom, our individual rights, our individual identities, our individual um, autonomy. But family, when you trust in Jesus, when you're not just saying, Jesus, come on in and, and, and join my party. No, you're saying, I'm laying everything down. I love so much when, when Nikolai went into the water, it, it, was a, it was a picture of him laying down his rights, laying down his autonomy, laying down his identity. And when he came back up, those things didn't come with him. He's in Christ. He represents Christ. He is a soldier for Christ. Paul, Paul goes on and he mentions two other, two other characteristics that we'll talk about quickly. He goes on and he says in, in, in verse 25, uh, I want to send Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. The word there for messenger is usually the one that's uh, 
It's the one that is usually translated apostle. And an apostle was someone who represented the authority that, it walked, that that person walked in. So the 12 apostles represented Jesus Christ in a unique way. They carried the message of Jesus Christ. They, they ministered uh, in the power of Jesus Christ. They had the authority of Jesus Christ in a very unique way. And so when, when Paul calls Epaphroditus the apostle of the Philippians, he's basically saying, I understand that he represented something about who you were. When he was with me, you all were with me. He received the presence of Epaphroditus as though they'd all come. They, they tried their best to express their love to Paul through sending Epaphroditus, and, and Paul receives that love. He was the embodiment of their care for Paul. And you and I, even though we're not apostles, we're not necessarily ones who have who've been in the presence of, of Jesus Christ and been, been given the, the call to, to do certain things, we represent Christ. Even though you and I can't be boast of being sent by Jesus himself, we have the, the opportunity to represent him well or to represent him poorly. Many of our co- co-workers and, and neighbors, they're, they're not going to come here to church. Right? If you invite them to church, they're going to say, hard pass, no thanks, I'm going to sleep on Sunday. But they'd be willing to look at your life. And they are looking at your life. They look at your life when you're more gracious than you ought to be. And for better or worse, they look at your life when you mutter things or gossip at the water cooler. They're, they're looking at your life and you have the opportunity to be a, a small a apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christ to them. You have the opportunity to be someone who, who ministers on behalf of Jesus Christ to them. You know, sometimes we, we get freaked out about evangelism. And I'm in that camp as well. You know, um, do, you, do you want to talk about Jesus? No, I don't. I, 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 I've experienced that. I remember going to one place and, and uh, it was a, a department store and there's a guy there, and he kind of looked down, and, and uh, normally, you know, I encourage people, you pray for people, ask if, if they'll pray for you. They never say no. Um, he said no. <laughs> you know, I, I was like, hey, man, how are you doing? He's like, you know, I, I feel, re-. he said something about feeling really low. I said, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, can I pray for you? And he's like, don't, you know, if you want to bring your religion into it. And then he walked off to go get the thing I'd asked for, and I was like, oh. And I said it quietly to myself because very clearly that was not what he was interested in. I understand sometimes it can be daunting to share your faith. But, but you can still be a representation of Jesus Christ by loving people and showing them the love of Jesus Christ and potentially giving yourself opportunity to share. When you share in, in, in out of the ordinary ways, when you love in out of the ordinary ways, you, you invite people in with a question. Why are they like that? I mean, so much of the, the early church was defined by why they were like that. The, the early Christians, in a time when, when humility and, and caring for widows and orphans and the weak, the weak was, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a virtue. The reason that's a virtue in our, our culture is because we were established by Christians. Or many of the people who established our, 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 our nation were Christians. The reason much of the West cares about philanthropy and and making hospitals and and caring for the least of these is not because we're awesome people when we come out of the womb. It's because the the nature and character of Jesus Christ and his love has permeated who we are. And you can be that. We can represent Christ. They'll watch our lives. 
and they'll know that if we claim to follow Christ, they, they will, they'll make conclusions about his message from our message. Epaphroditus represent, represented Christ and the Philippians well. Paul finally says that, that he was a minister to my needs. And it's neat. The, the language there for minister, it's, it's usually used in the context of the priesthood. So Paul understood that there was something holy about what, what Epaphroditus was trying to do on his behalf. And in fact, in, in chapter 4, like I read before, but in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. Listen to the way he talks about this. The gifts you sent, comma, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, when we are able to love others well, especially those within the household of God, it can present as, as worship to God himself. And the other side of this is true. If we say, I worship you, God, I love you, God, I, I praise you, God, but we can't help but dislike, disdain, and keep other Christians at arm's length, it calls into question the honesty that we have. Our love for others especially our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, says something about our, our worship. And, and Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians chapter 6, verse, verses 9 and 10, he says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Part of your worship is not just coming to church and singing songs and, and, and saying Christian things and, oh, well, how are you doing, sister? How are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. It's, it's loving people sacrificially. And, and I say that as one who's received, I've received love from you all, and I'm thankful for that. That's, that's what we're called to. So Paul tells us quick, quickly that, that Epaphroditus was a brother bound by Paul by the bonds of family. He was a fellow worker and soldier seeking to accomplish God's mission, whatever the cost, and he was a faithful messenger and servant. And all of this was true despite his suffering. Listen to verse 26 to me, with me. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Verse 27, even, or sorry, indeed he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And then verse 30, um, in 29, says, receive such men in verse 34, he nearly died for the work of Christ. We don't know the exact nature of, of the suffering of, that Epaphroditus experienced. We, don't, we, we know that it could have been fatal. We know that he could have died from this. You know, there wasn't a shot that he could take. There wasn't a pill that he could take. He was in the hands of God. And we know that, that he experienced that, that, that suffering in the service of God. This wasn't just like, uh, you know, it's a Monday morning and I wake up with the cold and, oh, man. No, he was serving God. He was traveling. It's possible he got sick while he traveled. He was, he was ministering on behalf of God. In verse 30, it says, so he receive, I'm sorry, uh, receive in verse 29, him in the Lord with joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died, what, for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking. And although he was able to deliver the Philippians' gift, uh, it seems that he was limited by his illness. 
And the Philippians had heard about it. Um, and I want, to, I want to give you a few observations about his suffering. First of all, he suffered while he was obeying God. This wasn't some sort of situation where he did something stupid and then he was suffering. He was walking in faith. He was walking in obedience. He was, he was standing in, in, in solidarity with Jesus Christ and then, boom, he is sick. How often do we think that if, man, if I would obey God more, he's going to spare me from suffering? Family, if that is a belief that you have, please just root that thing out, throw it in the trash. Because it is going to create some severe disappointment in your life. Some resentment, some pain. Get comfortable with the idea that God is going to bring suffering into your life. I'm not asking you to go look for it. I'm not asking for you to search it out. You know, this is not going to become the weird suffering party. Like, oh, I'm suffering more. No, you know. But when it comes, it might, not beca- it might not be because you did something stupid. And if, and if you look at your life and you say to yourself, God, I didn't do something stupid. Are you just angry at me? No. God's plans are bigger. Anyways, it happened while he was obeying God. Secondly, there was no indica- indication that his suffering was punitive. I, I covered this. Suffering was a part of his Christian experience. Suffering is part of our Christian experience. And this goes back to Jesus. We look at Jesus and his life and we're like, Jesus, you died for my sins. He rose again. Thank you so much. But, but we forget that, hey, Jesus died for our sins. Things didn't end well for him until they did. Not only did he die, he experienced rejection. He experienced betrayal. He experienced loneliness. He experienced physical pain. There's no suffering that you're going through that Jesus is like, ah, I've never experienced that. That's weird. Epaphroditus had experienced suffering despite the fact that he was following God. It wasn't punitive. And, and the fact that, this is number three, the fact that Paul says that God had mercy on him means that God was completely in control during his suffering. I'll say that again. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also. The fact that Paul says that God had mercy on him means that God was in charge of that moment. Now, you're, you may be in a moment of suffering and pain. You may be saying to yourself, God, help me. He's right there. He's right there. And, and that, that would be not necessarily an encouraging thing if it weren't for the fact that we see in, in, in the whole Bible and especially in, in the life of Jesus Christ that God is good. This is the tension that we have to hold, that God is both good and able to allow us to suffer. Doesn't mean that we'll understand it. Doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be easier but it becomes the foundation upon which we stand when we go through suffering. Are you in a season of suffering? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're now obeying God to the best of your ability and you you find yourself in this, this season of suffering? Maybe things seem bleak and you're asking yourself, where is the hope? What can you do? What can you do in a moment like that? 
I mean, we have the benefit of seeing things on the other side, but what do you think it was like five days before he got better? What do you think it was like when, when, when Epaphroditus was laid out and Paul was, was anxious and saying to himself, oh my gosh, this is going from bad to worse. What are we going to do here? What do you think it was like when, when Epaphroditus was traveling and he's beginning to get sick and he's saying to himself, this is not good. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. What am I going to do? What did he do? Epaphroditus did what was in front of him to do. Like a good soldier, he had a mission to deliver the Philippian gift to Paul and to serve Paul. So that's what he did. He had faith in God and he took steps forward. Sometimes when we're asking God, what do I do? We're not asking what, God, what do I do? We're saying, God, take the pain away. Because usually what's in front of us to do is fairly clear. Okay, I need to be a faithful and kind husband. I need to be a patient and kind and loving father. I need to be a, a, a coworker that is walks with integrity and honesty. I need to be a, a loving neighbor. God has put things in front of you to do. And if you're, if you're suffering and you're, you're, you're kind of in this fog and not knowing how to step out of it, I would encourage you to just make a list of things that God has put in your life to do. And just pick one and start moving. And as you're doing this, you can build your faith. You can listen to what God says in Romans chapter 8, I quoted this, I think, last week, but it's worth memorizing. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Those, uh, we know that all things, sorry, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. When you're in suffering, you may not be able to feel that reality, but you can hold on to that reality. In Lamentations, in the Old Testament, Chapter 3. If I could get there, there we go. Lamentations chapter 3. It's an amazing passage. 3 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And then Psalm, any of the Psalms, honestly. But Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is not, nothing but on earth beside you that I desire. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. God is the strength of my portion. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The, the word has something to say when you're in the middle, middle of suffering. Something that will help you go from here to here. And sometimes that step hurts. Sometimes that step is painful. Sometimes that step is difficult. But you can say, you know what, God? Your word says that, that you are my portion. The steadfast love of the Lord lasts forever. I will trust in the Lord. In the end, Epaphroditus gives us one more example of how to live like Jesus. And Paul says in, in verse 30, or verse 29 and, and 30, he says, so receive him in the Lord, right? I'm sending him back to you. Please receive him. Embrace him. Accept him. Look at his life and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. He expected the Philippians to embrace Jesus Christ. He was a man who had labor, labored on their behalf and who would be an example for them moving forward. 
And in honoring men like that, they were, in, they were encouraged to follow these godly examples. So as we, as we close, you know, we were at the Outer Banks a couple weeks back, and it was, it was great. I highly recommend it. Off-season, don't go on-season. Go in November. It sounds better than it is. Or it is better than it sounds. It was great. If you guys don't believe me, I'll go back. You just dare me. Um, but we went out late at night to the ocean, and it was neat to see the stars and to hear the waves. There's just something cool about seeing the stars at night in a clear night, especially in places where there isn't a whole lot of, like, light, and they're bright, and you see the moon. Um, but even on a clear night, it can be kind of hard to, to make out the details of the moon, but, but we have this amazing thing in humanity called a telescope, Right? Where you can look and you can begin to see with a greater degree of clarity and wonder all the things that are going out there. You know, in, in our Christian walk, we, we need to set our eyes on Jesus just like we do the moon. But sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of hard to make it out. Sometimes it's, it's, you look and you read and you're like, Jesus, this is great, but you're God. And he was fully human, but there's something about some of the experiences when we're reading the Bible and we say, you know what, I just... Is there any way I can connect more deeply with this? How do I connect better with this? And, and like a telescope, if we will look at the lives of those individuals whom God has given us as examples, the, the, the contours of the life and character of Christ will come into greater focus. When we have trouble seeing Jesus, we can look at the lives of men and women who are following him well. Their lives serve as telescopes for us. And family, you have the privilege of living your life in such a way that your life is a telescope for others, if you would embrace that. So with, with Paul, I want to encourage you to, to look at, to Jesus and also to look onto those who are following Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us your son, that by faith we can be saved, we can trust you and you promise that because of the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that you can take our sin and the guilt and shame and the punishment that we deserve, you take that away from us and put it on Jesus Christ so that we can receive life, abundant life, eternal life, life with you. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that's something you want to do today, would you raise your hand? There's nothing magical about the act of raising your hand but it is, it's a, a way of expressing what God is doing in your life alright well Father we thank you that you've given us examples of, of faithfulness portraits of faithfulness that we can follow and I pray that as we look on not, at, not just at Jesus but Timothy but Paul, Epaphroditus, men and women in our own lives that are walking faithfully with you, God would you help us to walk more closely with you Help us to be telescopes. Help us to see through the telescopes that you provided. Help us to see your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.